those of you who were here in in February along with me. It's kind of nice. Nice to think we've been here since late January, actually. It's a long time. You might remember I, I did a, an introduction to uh, the equanimity practice uh, that month. And it's come around to me again. And, and I shared a, a verse, part of a poem from the Terigata. The other night I was sharing poems from the ter, Terigata. And uh, this is another one that I found, a translation of part of a verse that I want to begin with this afternoon. <clears throat> so this is how it, this part goes. If your mind becomes firm like a rock and no longer shakes in a world where everything is shaking, your mind will be your greatest friend and suffering will not come your way. Like this verse, in part because it has this, uh, these words uh, pointing to the possibility that uh, one's mind could become one, one's great friend. And if you've gotten even a taste of that as a possibility over these weeks here, then, then your time has been well spent from my point of view, at least. And this image of a mind firm like a rock, that rock could bring up an image of something that's hard and immobile. I think it, kind of hardness there, rocks are, are hard. But to me, it brings up this image, and I think the intention of the poem there, this image of more of a kind of um, stability, kind of firmness. It says firm, like a rock. So pointing to the firmness and qualities of non-resistance and impartiality, a kind of profound acceptance of things. So more that, that aspect of firmness of a rock than of hardness or impenetrability. And, and we could see the, the world where everything is shaking in this verse as pointing to the, uh, say, the conditions, the continually changing conditions that we can encounter in life, in the world, in our experience, and, and the movement between uh, contacts that are pleasant and unpleasant things we like, things we don't like, things we find acceptable, things we don't. And then, then the, the flow, the change of our response or often reactions to that change, and the push and pull between reactions of moving towards and away from, the constant movement there, so that everything's shaking in this way. And so this, this verse can uh, point to 
if the mind is, is firm in, in relation to this flow of change, then this uh, possibility of not suffering in relation to that. So we could think of this as the mind in a place of uh, profound, deep balance, the balance of equanimity, which is the uh, Brahma-vihara that uh, we'll be practicing today, introducing that a bit now, and then a guided meditation. And This is really the... It's there within all of the Brahma-viharas. It supports and informs them all, and it's also in some ways the, the, the most subtle and the most profoundly transforming when the mind rests in a state of equanimity, when this quality is strong. And beautifully expressed in um, a description of the, the, the night of the Buddha's uh, awakening. And Susie spoke about this when it said, he was assaulted by the armies of Mara, came in the form of um, various weapons and, and missiles and uh, pains and difficulties. And when that didn't work, assaulted by uh, all kinds of possible sense pleasures and beautiful, alluring things. And finally, doubt. You could see it as in the form of the hindrances that might assail us. And it said that the great one's mind was not moved. An image, the mind wasn't moved, assailed. And now it said all these things just turned into lotus flowers rain down as flower petals. This sense of being able to be um, open and receptive and fully connected with life and yet in a place of balance and stability and in the relation to that. So it gives us a chance to meet these changes without falling into these, uh, the reactivities of grasping on the one hand and resistance and aversion on the other hand. I'll just say a little bit more. There's there's a couple of ways that I think it's useful to look at equanimity, this balance of mind that point to a couple couple of ways you might think about it. So one of them has to do with the literal translation of the word upeka, which is what we we find for the Brahma-vihara. It's upeka. We see this, the... um, Enlightenment factor of equanimity, the word upeka is used. And literally it means something like to look over. This image of, you know, if you climb to the ridge and you can look out over the whole valley and even further across the land. The sense of having a broad view, a power of, of a broad way of observing life, observing our experience. And the teacher, Gil Franzdahl, who teaches here and runs a center down the peninsula a ways from here, he, he likens this, compares it to what he calls grandmotherly love. That's the image of a grandmother who loves her children, grandchildren, children too, but in this case, the grandchildren has um, a different perspective having raised her own children doesn't get so caught up in the drama of the lives of the grandchildren, has a different perspective. It's not quite so close there. So this sense of being able to take a broad view 
and not so caught up in all of the minutia of uh, of our thoughts and desires and emotions and everything that goes on there. We see that from a, a place where we've, we're connected and present, but we're not lost in the details and all of the apparent issues there. And then there's another um, way to think of this quality that is um, related to another word that could be translated as equanimity. It's a compound of, of three shorter words. The, the Pali word tatra maja tata is made up of the word tatra meaning there or, um, or, or these things, these things there. And maja, which is middle like uh, oh, in the Metta Sutta, we say Majima, the Majima Nikaya, the middle length. We use Majima in the chanting of the Metta Sutta to point to middle-sized beings, which uh, we, in my perception, all fit into that category. And Tata, meaning to stand or to pose. And so in this com- compound word, it means to stand in the middle of all these things or to stand there in the middle And the sense there is of, of a, um, a kind of mm, inner strength that brings a stability. And the image that I like to use is uh, of the keel in a ship, in a sailboat. I used to, when I lived in San Francisco, I, the place where I lived, it was an old um, converted fire station and it had a yard next to it. and the owner of the building that we were renting from was building a sailboat there. And he had the hull, and at one point he was filling the keel. He was recycling lead out of batteries to fill the keel, putting thousands and thousands of pounds of this heavy weight down in there. And then when the sailboat has this keel, it's this long fin, you see them out of the water. It's a big hollow fin there. And and so that weight, in the in, internal weight, then counters the, the mast and the sail so that it can catch the wind, but not tip over. And so there's this inner strength from that. And so equanimity gives us a kind of inner strength that is not tipped over by the changing fortunes, by the winds of change. It may may heal over to one side or another. So it lets us, <coughs> excuse me, inner strength uh, lets us stay in this place of balance. And so this quality of equanimity is strong and powerful in its own right, and it's, as I said, infuses the other Brahma-viharas. So we've always been uh, cultivating it in our metta and karuna and mudita practice. Because it's what lets them, uh, keeps them from falling into the extremes of, of reactivity or of, um, you know, the near and far enemies, we could say. So it keeps, it keeps metta from, uh, keeps it, makes it so the metta can unfold and flourish to its fullness and become truly unconditional so that we can really wish well wish love to all beings, even those who 
who seem to be doing things that just lead to suffering in the world. Even those beings who, whose actions cause suffering, we, we don't have to throw them out of our heart. It lets us see, um, see the bigger picture. It lets compassion connect with suffering but not be overwhelmed by it. It gives the, it's what gives uh, compassion its, its courageous aspect, the ability to actually be with suffering. Gives it the courage to act when it can act and act with real strength. And gives it the ability to stay when there's nothing we can do except be there. It, it balances uh, umudita, empathetic joy, appreciative joy, in the way that it allows us to um, not limit ourselves or anyone else. And there's not just so much joy to go around that another's good fortune doesn't limit our potential or possibility. And just a couple more words about being careful to say what equanimity is not. So again, sort of this sense of the near and far enemy. So the far enemy is reactivity, you could say. So that's easier to spot. But it's not, often people think equanimity means some kind of indifference or maybe suppression or denial. Kind of pretend we're okay when really we're not okay. Some kind of fake equanimity, oh yeah, I'm okay. And inside we're we're seething. Or else that it points to some kind of indifference or insensitivity. We just don't feel anything anymore. Kind of numbness. That's that's equanimity is actually, I think it's based on this. You like to use this term of for meditation for all of these practices that we're doing, that they're founded on this. Uh, intention towards a radical intimacy with our own inner world and with life and equanimity is based on this sense of a radical intimacy. So it's deeply and fully connected. But there's enough uh, stability and balance of mind that we're not just pushed and pulled around by everything there. So there's no kind of numbness or indifference there. It's actually the opposite of that. So it's not that there's any kind of passivity with it either. Doesn't mean we let things roll over us. We take firm stands. We, We draw firm boundaries when that's necessary and appropriate. But we can act from wisdom and kindness rather than from reactivity, judgment or aversion. And this quality, equanimity frees up a lot of energy that would be used in, in, in reactivity. So it lets us, it lets our wisdom and kindness shine through and inform our actions, inform what we do in the world. And this quality, it's, it's the, the jewel of the practice. When equanimity is strong in the mind and heart, it's the sweetest possible thing.
the classic phrase, and I think maybe John touched on this this morning in answering one of his questions, but the, the classic phrase, it was when he was offering the phrases, uh, the, for the five subjects for frequent reflection. And the fifth one of those is the reflection on, on the, the law of kamma, karma. All beings are the owners of their actions. And, in, and this is the classic phrase for uh, equanimity, is all beings are the owners of their actions. Their happiness or unhappiness depends on their actions, not upon my wishes for them. We have to be careful with this because it can sound kind of Sound like if your equanimity phrases, well, good luck. <laughs> or have a good life. Hope it works out. That's not quite right. <laughs> so I think it's important that we infuse this practice with warmth and tenderness and the qualities of kindness and compassion. There's a sense of wishing one, wishing another well. Caring, I care for you, I wish you well, and I can't live your life for you. So I'll offer a few different phrases that, that uh, hopefully will catch that, uh, that sense of this. So it's, it's infused with warmth where there is this wish that others be free of suffering, that they be happy and safe, and knowing that, that our wish for them is not what's going to make that come to be, that it will depend on all sorts of conditions, and one of those conditions is the choices that each of us makes in our life, that we have our own life to live. So we'll do a, a bit of a guided meditation now, so finding a posture that's comfortable, as much ease in the body as possible given the conditions of having a body. as you settle into whatever posture you feel brings as much ease and comfort, stability to the body. Before you pick up anything that feels like something you're doing, just let yourself be Just as you are right now, there's nothing you have to try to fix or change about yourself, about who you are, about what you notice. You don't have to try to do anything right now. Certainly don't have to try to be anybody. Just be a living being. Whatever mood is there, it's fine. Just as you are right now, with nothing 
to fix or work on for these few moments. So a sense of deep simplicity of simply being. Life is going on and the body is breathing itself. Sounds coming and going. Sensations. Mindfulness arises. Passes away. And if you would like to, you don't have to, you can let the attention come to the area we call the heart center, the base of the sternum, that soft, tender spot. Place a fingertips or hand or notice the breath there. Only if that seems interesting or you find it, find it useful in some way is to connect with this part of the body, but not trying to manufacture some sensation or look for something there. I'll see if perhaps an image or a felt sense of a being who falls into kind of a neutral category for you, perhaps in the metta practice or one of the other practices you were offering kindness, compassion for someone who is sort of neutral in your life. Might be someone here on the retreat, someone you see around the the campus here at Spirit Rock, or someone who might be in your life outside, uh, someone where you work, or someone you see in a store somewhat regularly, you can picture them. Maybe the person who delivers your mail at home. Maybe one of the animals around here. There's a sense with this being, whoever it might be, that you don't know much about them, you know they're a living being. 
and that they have good days and bad days the same as you do. They have their successes and failures and joys and sorrows. Those worldly winds blow through their life just as they do through yours. And you know that just as you wish to be happy or at ease or peaceful, it's true for them as well. You might get a sense that you could wish them well. I wish you to be at ease. I care for you. But you know that you can't make their choices for them or live their life for them. So with this practice, we're really cultivating the heart of balance and stability in our own experience in relation to these other beings. In this case, this this being you don't know much about. I'll offer a few phrases and then you can practice in your own way. Maybe this sense of all beings being the owners of their actions. All beings are the owners of their karma. Their happiness and unhappiness depend upon their actions, not upon my wishes for them. Or you can phrase it, you are the owner of your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depends on the actions you choose to take, not upon my wishes for you. I care for you, but I can't make your choices for you. I wish you well, but I can't live your life for you. Perhaps life unfolds lawfully. Conditions unfold lawfully, not according to my wishes. So in your own way with a an image felt sense perhaps of this being. Sense that you wish them well, they have their own life to live.
Now if you'd like to, you can bring to mind through an image or a felt sense someone who you do know well, who's dear to you, near to you. Might be someone you've been working with in the other Brahma-vihara practices, a benefactor or very dear friend, very easy being. You really know about them and connect to them some personal way. And even though you care for them, bring the understanding that life unfolds lawfully Nature unfolds in a lawful way. And part of this involves the actions any of us chooses to take and the fruits of those actions. And here it may be very easy to wish them well, to let them know you care for them. that you would protect them from suffering and you wish them every kind of joy and happiness and you know that they have their own life to live. Like all beings, you are the owner of your actions. You inherit the results of your actions. Your happiness or unhappiness depends upon the choices you make and the actions you take, not upon my wishes for you. I care for you and I wish you only good things, but I can't make your choices for you. I care for you, but I can't live your life for you. So continuing with words, with an image or a felt sense, or more quietly, the sense of simply abiding in a place of balance, a warm place of well-wishing and connection and the understanding that life unfolds lawfully, that all beings have their own journey and their own life to live. wishing this being well, wishing them happiness and safety, knowing that you can't live their life for them.
Now, at this point in this period of practicing together, if you haven't already done so, you can start to let go of words and images. You don't have to push them away. Just let go of trying to do anything. go of <clears throat> trying to do a practice or engage with an idea. Shift from anything that feels like doing to simply being the way we began this meditation. You notice thoughts and words, images might come and go. You just let them do that. Sounds coming and going. Sensations. Just nature doing its thing. You can let it be. You can let yourself be. There's nothing you need to do right now. There's nowhere you need to go. No one you need to be. There's nothing to get. There's nothing to get rid of. Nothing to hold on to and nothing to let go of. No inside, no outside. There's no meditation and there's no one who's trying to meditate.
over these next days as we uh, move through this week, you can really continue to practice any of these Brahma Viharas as you wish. Let them arise as they wish to or direct in particular ways, including now the equanimity practice, which has a different, uh, different flavor. It's, it's cooler, but it's not cold. And it's also not this sense of really um, sending out any kind of wish. It's really this reflection on, on the truth of the conditioned nature of things and on the natural unfolding of conditions. So the sense of well-wishing, but really understanding that all beings have their own journey. So it's really very much, it's always in all of these, we're cultivating this quality in our own mind and heart, but here that's very much the case. We're not wishing that others have equanimity so much. It's really developing that in our own heart, in relationship. So I, I did just this, traditionally we would start with a neutral being and then move through these other categories and you can practice in, in any way different beings. Or this beautiful gray afternoon. The blessings of the rain that we need so badly. So even if you wish it was sunny, be glad for the rain. See you around the place. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.